Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka, welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender based violence. Joining us today in our Johannesburg studio is Professor Intabiseng Audrey Ogude, who is Dean at the Mamalodi campus of the University of Pretoria. She serves on various boards and professional bodies in the education sector and is also the incoming Vice President of the Pan-African University. Academically, Prof. Gude has specialized in chemistry and is passionate about education, particularly broadening access to higher education and the throughput of qualifications for both the disadvantaged and female students. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show, Prof. Thank you. Thank you and thank you for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure to have Thank you. you here. Thank you. In 2016, you appointed Dean of the Mamalodi Campus at the University of Pretoria. Can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you do mm-hmm. and the responsibilities that come with holding mm-hmm. this position? Yes. Thank you. Um, as you know, Mamalodi Campus is in a township, you know, and um, it's one of the campuses of the university which is very different from the rest in terms of location. So we have what we call an anchor strategy. An anchor strategy is basically what it says. We are anchored in that community. And what it means is the future of that community is inextricably linked with our own future as a university. And I think that's one of the unique things that I found about the University of Pretoria, Mm -hmm. that it is community-driven. What happens in the city, I remember being uh, at main campus and Mm. talking about the efforts that happen, city of Tswane and Uh that close Uh link. Uh But please, please continue with Mamalodi. Yes, no, thank you. So, uh, like I was saying, it's, it's, you know, the future of Mamalodi is inextricably linked with our own future. So it provides us the opportunity to carry out our social responsiveness mandate through community engagement. So what that does also is with time we hope we can intervene such that we can stem the cycle of poverty in Mamelodi. And in practical terms it means where do you intervene if you'd like to stem the cycle of poverty? I think the obvious place to, to start with is education. So my role is broadening academic pathways And because I'm a scientist and there's a need for scientists, we broaden educational pathways into science and technology fields. So what that means is we work with schools in the Mamilori area in structured memorandum of understanding and we do academic enrichment. So we complement the formal schooling system with out-of-school and after-school activities. Conceptual development in chemistry, in physics, in mathematics, you know, our school system, as you know, has challenges. So some of the children are failed by the school system. And we are at the receiving end as universities. We find that students are, you know, inadequately prepared. Um, so basically that's what I do. And what is important is also to realize that the children that we bring onto campus that come to after-school activities, we have say 500 per week and over 30,000 per year actually working on that campus. 
these children are embedded in their community. So there's a macro context to us broadening educational pathways. We can't remove a child out of their family setup and not address the family setup. The second part of uh, our anchor strategy beyond intervening in the educational pathways is to bring our academic capital, bring all the researchers, all the students that are doing community-based research, and they address problems of poverty. So we look at who is the young youth, you know, the youth in the home, who could be a brother of this child who's coming to the university, who who may not be a negative, you may be a negative influence, and we provide opportunities for out of school, out of school youth, and also for the mothers for women empowerment, and we also um, address health issues. So it's a holistic development, yeah, you know, a holistic program. It's a huge social impact. Yes. And have you? I, I don't know how long the strategy has been in place, mm -hmm. but have you seen any evidence of young people starting out? and evolving and transi transitioning through the system? I think this is the beauty of, of doing this work. Um, we actually have a tracking system where we say, you know, if you start, say, with them, um, we, we haven't been doing this for long enough. You know, the university has been in Mamelodi since 2008. But uh, they're bringing together this into what we call the Mamelodi Collaborative, which is this strategy. Um, started in 2016, just after I took I took over, and uh, we have actually had um, narratives of students that started in grade 10 and are now within the university environment, and they tell us about their experiences and what their parents thought about, you know, them coming to after school programs and so on. But just for a child to walk on a university campus, just to acquire. You, you know that space is really um, is really respected. In I, I think being in an environment and being mm. in an environment that you're not familiar with, but mm. when you go into an institution of learning, you can feel it in the atmosphere exactly. that it's different. Mm -hmm. And I think that always offers a, a moment of inspiration. Mm. And I could be one of those people. Hope. That aspirational you know, um, the, the aspiration to see yourself as part of the university. One of the students, when we interviewed him, he said, you know what, my father actually told me that when he's, gone, when he's out with his friends, he tells them that I go to university, and he was only in grade 10. And you know what that did? He said, my father says he dare not get less than 80%, <laughs> because I will have nothing to, you know, to tell my friends. And it's pride. So it's pride, parental support. <laughs> it yeah. sounds fantastic, and I really so look forward mm. to seeing how that program develops. Wow. It's yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 very fulfilling. Let me put it that way. Yeah. And moving mm. away from home, as mm. it were, mm -hmm. can you tell us about some of the more significant collaborations or research yes. projects that you've got going mm. with countries in the continent? Mm -hmm. Well, our major collaboration is with a, a, an American university. Yes. Rutgers University in Newark. And what is fascinating about this relationship is we also need to understand that um, social inequity is not an African problem. Newark is a neighborhood with similarities to Mamelodi. It's not a Mamelodi but it's a neighborhood, a poor neighborhood. So the future, I think, is through co-creation of knowledge. 
is through integrated you know development of uh, materials and models and interventions so um we partnered initially with the uh, Radgas University in Wok and recently we have partnered with Namibia and what we're doing mostly has been in the you know the education space um and we're developing a model for pre-university intervention and what that includes is besides the cognitive side of a human being which you often uh um focus on we need to develop the non-cognitive side you know uh namibia there's a an ngo called pay uh physically active youth so what they do is they complement um the uh, academic you know uh, enrichment with outside activities like swimming and so on and there's a lot of research which shows that being physically active actually has um a bearing on um on on academic you know involvement and this reminds me of a conversation i had with um Sibongile uh, Kumalo and we were talking about education but also the role of the arts in education exactly and you know we have this strong emphasis on you know our, our very analytical based mm-hmm. subjects mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. she really went and explained you know from an arts point of view if you mm-hmm. are learning to listen mm-hmm. to people you've got mm-hmm. to be in time with mm-hmm. each other mm-hmm. studying music how you have a, a different cognitive ability of where you're looking mm-hmm. for things mm-hmm. in a different way mm-hmm. and this totally speaks to what you're saying that we are ideally wanting to develop whole individuals that are not just thinkers but are social beings that understand the the rest of their their circumstances in society yeah uh, precisely i mean we if i can just give you an example we we recently introduced a, a cycling club for girls in in our after school program our maths and science program and on first sight people say okay what are they doing cycling but you can teach them green energy there <laughs> altitude uh, speed <laughs> you know you can teach them a number of concepts but they don't have to learn them in a formal classroom it's applied it's applied exactly so um you know um i i totally agree with Swagile, you know we can't compart- you know compartmentalize human mm. learning human beings are whole <laughs> and unfortunately we are socialized into our disciplines and we you know the world doesn't operate in those boxes of course, I mean, we're multidimensional <laughs> exactly exactly absolutely yeah so namibia is is one link mm. and mm. another thing you have um recently appointed to be the vice president of the pan african university mm-hmm. can you tell us a bit more about that role what it entails Yes, maybe I should just explain what the Pan African University yes, is. It's it's a human capital development initiative. It's actually a continental flagship program, which was um, uh, launched in 2011 by the African Union Council, and the idea is to develop capacity, research capacity at the postgraduate level, 
So uh, it consists of uh, five notes which have been des- designated as you know research notes, and they uh, have expertise in those notes. And there are five of them. There's one on governance and social sciences and humanities, and it's in Central Africa. Basic sciences in, in East Africa, life sciences in the in West Africa, water and energy in the North, and space sciences still to be created in South Africa hopefully in 2020. So the idea is to develop a critical mass of high-quality researchers that that can address, um, you know, continental problems. But also, more importantly, is also to foster social integration. One unique thing about uh, the PAU is um, the the idea of language. Those from Anglophone uh, countries learn French, the Francophone learn English. So when somebody qualifies with a PhD and they never knew French, they are conversant with French. Staying with the theme of um, Africanness, mm-hmm. how do you think the responsibilities of universities are towards shaping the thinking of, of students mm-hmm. as with the continent's future mm-hmm. socio-political and economic players? Mm. You know, I think our biggest challenge is to develop social engaged graduates. When I look at the inequality, um, and if I use my own university, University of Pretoria, just moving from Hatfield to Mamelodi is a totally different world. We cannot sustain this. (laughs) And, you know, inequality has become a buzzword, and I don't think many of us actually internalize it. You know, we we can intellectualize it and exactly what um, we do is something else. But I think developing that civic responsibility and graduates that are intolerant to the inequality that we see every day. And the students that study at the Mamelodi campus actually say, we actually are struck by inequality every day. And they come out of there after 12, they spend a year there. After a year, they are changed people, most of them, both black and white students. So um, I really think that our biggest, biggest challenge is develop socially engaged graduates. And looking at it from a, a woman's point of view, because you spoke mm. general on one of the mm. key issues of mm. being to develop socially engaged, engaged students, students yeah. and how they can be active role players mm. in society mm. Uh, mm. from that. Yes, yes. And I wondered, in your view, if you've also got uh, a perspective from women in particular. Yes. Um, you know, if, if let me take our students in, in you know, that comments their studies in my melody. Most of our alumni actually come back and give back to the community. And want we've we've started a, a women in science, you know, program with our alumni. That's what I, you know, they they come and do experiments over the weekend, you know, uh, demystify science and all that, and they mentor, you know, some of the young girls. And I think that's what we as women really sh- are obliged to do: giving back to those that are uh, not in a fortunate position uh, to be. And when I look at your resume, you've got mm. this fantastic track record <laughs> in the sciences space, particularly with, with chemistry. And let's face it, when you were starting out, mm. science was a male-dominated yes. space. Yes. What inspired you to study chemistry? Wow. It's still male-dominated, by the way. 
um, I was brought up in a patriarchal society, but I had parents that had a vision. My mother was actually um, smuggled by her own father to go and learn somewhere because my maternal grandmother thought she was ready to get married. And my father was a teacher, came from a very patriarchal home. But I think as he got into teaching, he realized that women also can also. So I think it started from home. I was nurtured to value education. Before I even knew, I grew up in exile in Lesotho. And I was fortunate to attend a, a, a school that was started by a, a woman. And as a matter of policy, all the teachers were women. But it was a co-educational school. A phenomenon happened there in Lesotho where people went into exile and some of the women that you know were trained pre-apartheid found themselves in Lesotho, teachers and so on. So these were some of the women that started schools and started teaching. So when I opened my eyes, my whole educational milieu was, was women. I went to high school, I had four female teachers, one in math, one in English, one in biology, one in geography. And chemistry, I loved science because I could relate with it from a female point of view. And I had a brother who had done a BSc, let me also say that. So I, I, I grew up knowing about science, but to be honest, I didn't know anything about chemistry until I won a prize. <laughs> and I was given a book um, of this chemist Marie Curie, whom you could have yes. heard about. And I was fascinated by the fact that she could work with her husband in the laboratory. <laughs> and you know, at puberty, when you're at high school, that's where you start getting ideas that, you know, females, you won't get married if you excel. I, I, identities. <laughs> identities, exactly. Um, so I realized, well, here's a woman. I enjoyed that book. It was and just. I think she won two Nobel Prizes. She won two Nobel Prizes and the daughter also won a Nobel Prize. <laughs> so I thought, here are two people that can bring up a child. And although I didn't know much about chemistry, this has always been at the back of my mind. So when I went to university, my, my parents actually wanted me to do medicine. We didn't have career development. I didn't know you could have, you could be a scholar <laughs> in chemistry. So, um, but anyway, um, what happened then is I realized that I was a bit squeamish. <laughs> I couldn't do medicine. So I developed an interest in chemistry and that's how it happened. Yeah. That's a great story and it, it really speaks to, <laughs> to role modeling mm. and also on, on inspiration from the past. Yes. So reading through and, and seeing mm. the likes of, of Marie Curie's mm. STEM subjects, so science, technology, engineering, mathematics, mm -hmm. have been cited as pivotal for jobs of the future. Mm. But yet we continue to see various reports and you, you mentioned earlier that science is, is still predominantly mm. male driven. Women seem to be underrepresented in these disciplines, which is obviously going to create a gap and mm. disadvantages for job opportunities in the new world. Mm. What do you think we can do to address this, to encourage more women to, to study in this field? You know, the, the, real, the real enemy is actually our patriarchal constraints. Let me give myself as an example. If I didn't have a supportive husband, because I used to work in the lab at night, <laughs> over the weekend. 
So I do think that um, we've got to be much more sensitive to um, our institutional um, constraints um, and also family constraints. So policies, I think we can um, put in place, but um, I, I really think the, the choices that women do are also, I mean, make are very important. If you really want to be a scientist and you know you're going to work in the lab, you've got to assert yourself in the marriage, even before the marriage to say, here, here is who I think I am and I will, I would like this kind of career. You start with your own partnerships with, with your husband and so on before we come to, to institutional constraints. So I really think that, um, we need to continue to identify talent. We need to continue to uh, role model. I think we're doing a lot. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what it is that we are not doing, um, but I think you know the expectations of women are still for for you to be in the home. And I still have to cook and give birth and all that. That's a really important point that you've mm. raised. Mm. Is how do we accommodate? the balance mm. how yes. do we mm. go through and if we want a successful career how do we navigate between maintaining a home looking mm. after families looking after children looking after husbands mm. and still get ahead in in our career environment and i often ask is there a a one-stop solution but no no one has ever been no, able there, to give there it is to no one-stop solution and you know we need to stop thinking that we have to look after husbands <laughs> I mean, I, I really think the way we bring up our girls, I have brought up my girl to say, your role is not to look after a husband. You look after each other. <laughs> Partnership. Partnership. So I, I really think that the way we bring up our boys, the way we bring up our girls to assert themselves in relationships, and the way we say to boys, my son cooks. He's always cooked. He's always so, so the, the father cook also. So I think role modeling in the home, role modeling in society, but we keep on entrenching these stereotypes of what a woman is, what a successful woman is. If you don't have, if you are not married, you are not quite a successful woman. I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with feeling that you don't want to get married or have kids. But society makes you uncomfortable. And I think <laughs> you, you've hit the nail on the head mm. on mm. these narrow mm. definitions, limitations, mm. yeah. where mm. society tries to box mm -hmm. individuals into these pigeonholes as opposed to trying to understand that it's not mutually exclusive. I can't exactly. fall into multiple clusters. Mm -hmm. But you need a lot of support networks to do that. And they have to be synergistic support networks. You know, you've got to have a support network of home, in the work environment, I mean, if I think of women who do uh, civil engineering, for example, if you go to a construction site, which is still male-dominated, they are used to taking instructions from a male. You go in there and, you know, it's an alienating environment. But the other women also don't expect you to be in an overall <laughs> and, you know, putting on a helmet. That's not what an educated mm. woman looks like to most of us. Yes. You know, so I, I never forget uh, this, this um, young lady who uh, was doing a mining engineering degree at the University of Pretoria, and they had um, what uh, was a beauty contest of sorts. Um, but they gave them the leeway. One of the things they had to do was to dress any way you want. And she put on her overall 
and put on her helmet with high heels and appeared on the stage. <laughs> I mean, how powerful is that? And I think it blew everybody's mind. She was proud. She's a professional. In her gown. But she's still feminine. Exactly. Exactly. And know. I mm. think that's also been one of the challenges mm. is that because there haven't been enough female role models in the past, mm. that women have almost adopted male behavior because that was who their role models were. Mm. And now that we're seeing more women come into different spaces and occupy positions of leadership, they're allowed to, to understand that I can bring my womanness mm-hmm. into my role. Yeah. Look, I, I, I also had male um, role models. It's, it's also stereotypical to think that males cannot, you know, provide a, a role model to a woman. Absolutely. I've, I've had wonderful role models. And I think, you know, like I said, my father was quite in touch with um, the fact that he has to teach the girls. But the society was still patriarchal. So um, I, I do think that um, role models are important, but... It's also the responsibility of males to nurture women. We need to nurture each other. You are listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective, on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band, also available on DSTV Channel 802. Today we're talking to Professor Intabiseng Audrey Ogude, who is Dean at the Mamalodi campus of the University of Pretoria and the incoming Vice President of the Pan-African University. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Prof Ogude, mm. building female leadership capacity is important for the future mm. of women, not only in South Africa, in the mm. continent, and I would say arguably the rest of the world. You've held several strategic positions in your career in the tertiary education space, such as Vice-Chancellor of China University of Technology, Vice-Principal of University of Pretoria, Deputy Vice-Chancellor at Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University and University of Port Elizabeth. There are a handful of women in Mm. academic leadership, and when I call to mind for me current Mm. VCs Mm. include University of Pretoria's uh, Cheryl Delaray who Mm. unfortunately is is leaving at the end of the year. (laughs) We've got Prof Mamoketi Pacheng who's just taken up UCT, Mm -hmm. um, Prof Koriso Mutose, University Mm -hmm. of Zululand. Mm. In your opinion, what needs to happen to Mm. ensure that more women make it to the top? Mm. And whether this is in the university context or or any other discipline. Mm. You know, the university context leadership, academic leadership is very unique. And the reason I'm saying it's unique is because you've got to go through the ranks of the academy. You've, You've got to be a junior lecturer, you go to lectureship. So you've got to be an accomplished scholar in order to be an academic leader. And as we said, already very few women are coming through the pipeline to occupy even academically, you know, academic positions mm. to start with. So those that go into leadership are even fewer. And what needs to happen there, at least in my case, let me give myself as an example, I think that there needs to be people that can recognize potential. I always say to younger uh, females, exercise leadership in whatever sphere you are in. If you're a senior lecturer, exercise that leadership effectively. 
if a head of department exercise that leadership effective because that's what will propel you to become a vice chancellor you cannot i never aspire to be a vice chancellor other people should actually say you deserve to be a vice chancellor that's what academic leadership should be about um so the you know i i benefited from people who saw you know a potential in me and actually developed my higher education management you know i i got um from uh, university of south africa now it was called hisaben i got a management leadership placement you know uh in at the university of kansas where i shadowed a vice chancellor so we need more of those shadowing but what happens when you do go into academic leadership you actually can lose your academic career Yes. So you need you you need more you know you need more women to come first of all into the academy. There aren't enough of them. They go into you know their marriage situation may not even allow you a supporting environment. They start giving birth, then they cannot be promoted into professorship. And then you end up with the career gap. Then there's a career gap. You come back when you're probably forty-five. You know, uh, you've already given birth. and moving you know in into in in into a vice chancellor position is um i mean you 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 really sacrifice a lot higher education is not easy now in south africa it's, it's a very contested space um and i do think that we need to give women opportunities and um continue nurturing them uh, into these positions but ultimately they have to make a choice mm. they have to make a choice yeah and to be quite frank i think in any yeah. in any space getting mm. to the top requires sacrifice it's totals and you know you you've got to be um you you've got to believe in 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 your cause why why do you want to be a leader i mean you don't want to be set up for failure and 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 it can happen where you know people approach you just because you're a woman i've refused circumstances where people say you know what we need a woman to be in this and this uh committee that is not the r- way to do it it's it's not the the rationale so i'd rather you know a woman who says i'm sorry i'm not ready you are setting me up for failure um so there was pressure for many of us to go into academic leadership but at least we you know we 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 were uh, developed for that yeah you you were equipped you had yes. the shadowing components mm. so mm. if i look at this this is about uh, an innate desire of mm. an individual of what mm. they want to accomplish exactly. it's also contributed by a uh, sponsorship in mm. terms of other people that you work with and mm. say we believe in this person so you've got their buy-in and that advocacy mm-hmm. plus there is the actual developments the nurturing the shadowing so elements the shadowing that element, you spoke yeah, about yeah yeah not towards mm. more of a personal perspective mm. one of the questions that i ask all my guests on the show who've made tremendous achievements in their respective fields of mm. discipline mm. is about the factors that they consider have contributed to their success so mm. often people speak about hard work or perseverance <laughs> or a particular person in their life that that influenced them could you please share with us a few of 
the factors that you consider to have been mm. drivers of your success? Mm. You know, when I look back at um, at the belief my teachers had in me, you know, if I move away from the home, and if I can just recall an anecdote, um, I've talked about, you know, my high school teachers and all that. When when I finished uh, what we called Cambridge Overseas School Certificate then, you know, in Lesotho, which is metric, you know, um, I got a position in a bank as a teller. And that was prestigious. And one of my clients was our headmaster. And he came and stood at, you know, at um, my booth and said, what are you doing here? You do not belong here. And he gave me the confidence. This is not good enough for you. You, you. you deserve better. And I actually asked the bank to remove me from the front, <laughs> you know, uh, both because uh, as a teller to go and work at the bank because I was getting more and more of my teachers saying you do not belong in what was supposed to be a prestigious job. I could have well been attracted to staying there and not going to university. The money was good. So you need such people in your life to say, this is not good enough for you. They push you. They push you. Um, and you start saying, okay, I'm good enough. Uh, so I knew I, I was, uh, good, but that, that is just one powerful thing that mm -hmm. happened in my life because besides my parents and so on. Um, and then, um, when I got to university, the, you know, it was a very, I was taught chemistry by somebody who actually was discouraging us from chemistry. But because of that initial, you know, impetus I got from high school, I was able to say, look, I'm not going to listen to a white man who says I should actually, you know, uh, be in the kitchen and not in, you know, in the chemistry lab. Um, so you need to have that arsenal to say, I'm good. And it, it sounds like you had the positive motivation from the school teachers saying, you don't belong here, mm -hmm. you need to move ahead. You need to move ahead. Then you yeah. had, and I think negative can also be a driver of someone telling you, no, you don't belong here, and you proving him wrong. Exactly. But you know, the, the trajectory where you are when somebody says, you do not belong here. It can kill you. I mean, it, it can affect yes, you negatively if you are much younger. Uh, your self-esteem can be affected. So um, you need that foundational knowledge to say you're good. You know, science is for women. By the way, in Lesotho, women used to perform better than men in science. I didn't know until I was 30 that women were not good in science. Many people don't believe it because of the, you know, uh, the females. So I, I had a very supporting, reinforcing context mm. throughout my life where, you know, from the time I opened my eyes, my parents would say education. You go to primary school, you see all female. You go to high school, you see a lot of female. Not many people have that, you know, uh, that fortune. But when I came back to South Africa, I realized, you know, out, you know, from exile, I realized I need to encourage more women. So I think mentoring, role modeling, encouraging them, and that's what I do now. Yeah. Fantastic. 
it's um, <laughs> you know taking what you have mm, and mm. also being able to to mm. give back yeah now lastly as we conclude the show mm-hmm. could you please share a few words of wisdom or inspiration <laughs> that you'd like to impart to young ladies listening to us on the mm, continent mm. i would like to say to to young girls um the sooner you understood what your passion is follow it and never never be distracted and trust your journey signs is not you know you you it's not a myth you can do mathematics i always tell the older ladies don't tell your daughter they cannot do maths or chemistry or physics but the young ones science is a lot of fun and um i think women are the future um another thing i always tell young people is um If you're still in your comfort zone, you probably are not making a big difference. <laughs> you you need to have um you 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 need to have um a high level of uh, tolerance for uncertainty. That's when innovation comes out. Um so uh stay on your journey. <laughs> um and you'll come through thank you thank you mm. so much mm. i wonderful words of mm. of wisdom and mm. for people to get uncomfortable mhm <laughs> <laughs> you have been listening to womanity women in unity on channel africa the african perspective and we have been talking to professor intabasing ogude who is dean at the mamelodi campus of the university of pretoria and incoming vice president of the pan african university Thank you.